in late May 1916, in the small French village of Villeray, the Germans executed four Allied soldiers. They'd been hiding behind enemy lines since August 1914, disguised as local farm labourers. But who were they? Who hid them? And who betrayed them to the Germans? This is part two of the story of Private Robert Digby, the 1st Battalion of the Hampshire Regiment, one of the Villeray Four. My name is John Pope. I'm a volunteer speaker with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission and a story moderator on the Forevermore series, which details the lives of people who died for their countries. I have an interest in the ordinary men and women who served in extraordinary times. Who were they? And where did they come from? What did they do before the war? And why did they join up? Some were volunteers, and some were conscripts. Some had the time of their lives, while others were scarred mentally and physically, or simply failed to return. They weren't all heroes, and they weren't all decorated. But for most, war at home and abroad was an experience which shaped them and changed them. Drawing on books, official records, internet resources and the personal recollections from friends and families, I've pieced together just some of the stories of those who served. Join me for part two of this episode to learn more about Privates Robert Digby, William Thorpe, David Martin and Thomas Donohoe, the Villaray Four. By the winter of 1914, after several months cut off behind enemy lines, living rough or hiding in an isolated cottage on a local country estate, the four soldiers were taken in by the local people of the small village of Villaray. Digby lived in a tiny room in the home of Suzanne Boitel, who lived alone with her young child whilst her husband was away at war. Robert Digby was also taken under the wing of the Dessen family. Jules Dessen and his wife Eugenie and their daughter Claire lived in Villeray with their family matriarch, Marie Coulette Dessen, one of the best known and perhaps most feared characters in the village. The Dessen's daughter Claire was only 19 years old and widely regarded as the prettiest young woman in the village. Before long, she and Robert Digby ten years her senior, had embarked on a passionate relationship, and by spring 1915, Claire de Seine was pregnant with Digby's child. Claire's mother, Eugenie, made no secret of the fact that she was unhappy with the relationship, whilst her father Jules was more accepting. The grandmother, Marie Collette, was Digby's champion, and was delighted with the prospect of a great-grandchild. Her husband, Florency, a small-time tobacco smuggler, did what he always did and kept his opinions to himself. Either way, Claire did not care. She was young, she loved Digby and she was headstrong enough to defy her mother. Imagine a small French village of just a few hundred people, unchanged possibly for centuries and known only for making cloth, farming and living quietly in the Aisne region. And suddenly they find themselves just behind the front lines, occupied by enemy troops and governed by a paranoid commandant. 
Of course, the secret of Villaray soon became widely known among the locals, that young British soldiers were hidden amongst various families in the village. The commandant, Major Carl Evers, issued weekly, sometimes daily, requests to the mayor and local farmers to provide yet more food, provisions and equipment which could be used for the Imperial German Army. But food was scarce. It was still winter, and stocks of root vegetables and grain were already depleted, so feeding four additional mouths was simply another burden, and yet the villagers felt obliged to help their allies and keep them safe from the Germans. As in any small village, long-held enmities between various families existed. The Lelong family, who ran the bakery, looked down their noses at the descends. The village postman, Achel Poet, was a gossip, and had long held Claire de Seine as the object of his affections, which, sadly for him, were not returned. Whilst Claire's cousin, Marie Sauvage, whose husband Richard was away at the front, also fell pregnant, most likely to a German soldier stationed in the village. Suzanne Boitel, who housed Digby, was the love child of an illicit affair between her mother Celine and an unknown peddler, and after she had died, had been brought up by her half-sister, Elise Lelong, wife of Leon, the baker. The Lelongs also looked down their noses at the Boitels. In this complex mix of war, food shortages and village blood feuds, the arrival of four foreign soldiers, one of whom begins an affair with one of the most eligible girls in the village, set neighbour against neighbour. Robert Digby, with his ability to speak French, was well aware of these issues and impressed upon the other three the delicate position they were in. For his part, Willie Thorpe, a family man, became the favourite of local children, doing conjuring tricks and earning himself the nickname Papa. David Martin and Thomas Donohoe grew long moustaches, all the better to blend in with the local men, and took their turn in the fields tending the crops. Martin was also a skilled cook, and did what he could to contribute to feeding the villagers, whilst Donohoe was cheeky and lively, and learned enough of the local Artois dialect to flirt with the young girls. But as time went on, some villagers began to question the risks they were taking in sheltering the soldiers. The mayor, Parfait Marier, agreed with Eugénie de Seine, Claire's mother, that it was better to live with the invaders than die by defying them. Élise Lelong observed that Claire de Seine had brought about her own downfall, and forbade her daughter Clotilde from speaking to her. Things came to a head when in May 1915, 82 villagers were sent away by transport to Lille, Saint-Quentin and as far away as the Swiss border. Some would not return for three years or more, and some would decide to set up home elsewhere for good. Some felt that these villagers had been forced to leave, others that they had made a choice, while a few observed that the situation had not changed, and the chance discovery of the British soldiers by Mayor Evers still posed the greatest risk to the village, notably Parfait Marier, the mayor, who would be held personally responsible. On the 14th of November 1915, Claire de Seine gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Digby wanted to name her Ellen after his mother, but this was felt to be too obviously British, so the girl was named Hélène. 
We were proud of that little girl. She belonged to the whole village, said one. While another observed, What was an English soldier doing fathering bastards with French girls when he should have been fighting the Germans? Hélène's birth coincided with the close of the Battle of Luz, which had been dragging on since late September, and drew to a muddy finale in mid-October, just 50 miles to the west. Villaray was suddenly swollen with exhausted, battle-drained troops, an entirely different occupying force to the one they had been used to. Barns were confiscated, houses occupied, and officers were billeted with families and chateaux, such as that owned by Jean Magnier, who had hidden the soldiers in a cottage on her estate, were entirely taken over by the Germans. Even firewood became a source of contention. The Germans arrested 30 villagers at New Year's Eve in the forest of Trocmay near Villeray for collecting winter fuel, which had since been decreed the property of the Imperial German Army. Major Evers imprisoned local people for failing to salute officers, even though they were non-combatants, and forced a group, including a man of 79, to march around the square, saluting whenever they passed a corporal on guard. Villagers were also expected to salute German officers' staff cars, even when they were empty. After the new year dawned, and the German army began preparing for its assault on the French at Verdun, Major Evers' demands for food, wine, crockery and cutlery reached frenzied new heights, prompting the villagers to reply, what else do we have left to give? And then the news began to circulate of a spy ring operating in the area, passing information to the British and the French. Major Evers' paranoia was piqued, and he began a campaign of searches and surveillance, promising to imprison, deport or execute anyone caught spying or harbouring spies. This would, no doubt, include British soldiers who had long since buried their uniforms and were dressed as local farm workers. On the 30th of March 1916, Evers issued a long proclamation, in summary offering any enemy soldier until 30th of April to give themselves up, or risk incurring the full force of German military law, including on those people who'd helped them. Only Digby, the new father, opted to stay. The others attempted to escape, guided by a local poacher, but they were back within two days, as the area was swarming with German troops, and quite impassable. In desperation, Léon Lelong, the baker, and Parfait Marier, the mayor, half pleaded and half threatened the men to leave the village. On the 25th of April, just a few nights before Evers' deadline expired, Robert Digby wrote a letter to his mother, Ellen. Dear Mother, this letter is written by me to introduce you to this young woman, if, by chance, I should die. I have been in this place in hiding from the 1st of September 1914 to April the 25th 1916. I have a child I love very much, and if all goes well, I will come back with her and my little one to be near you. But if anything should happen to me, then I beg you, my dear mother, to help make a good life for my darling little girl. She is five months old. The whole village respects us both, she and I. Do not think ill of her after my death, but cherish her and help her. Your affectionate son, Robert. Despite Claire's tears at Robert's departure, 
The following night, guided by Lucien Lelong, the baker's son, Digby, Thorpe, Donahoe and Martin set out to try to cross the German lines to the west, near Peron, and reach the British. They couldn't get near the front line and were back in Villeray within three days. At dawn on the 16th of May, a squad of German military police marched into Villeray and searched the hayloft behind a house in the main street. They searched no other homes, as they knew exactly where to look. They arrested Thorpe, Donahoe and Martin without a struggle, but Digby escaped from the window and ran to Trocmay Woods. The police returned later and arrested the mayor, Parfait Marier, the Lelongs, Claire's grandfather, Florency de Seine, Suzanne Boitel, who had housed Digby, and Achille Poet, the postman. Following a hasty military court, Thorpe, Donahoe and Martin were sentenced to death by firing squad. The villagers who had aided them received between 18 months and 10 years hard labour and fines totalling several thousand francs. Some thought the sentences scandalous. Others thought they were somewhat lenient. Given the dire threats by Mayo Evers, had the soldiers and the villagers been betrayed? And had the betrayer struck a deal for clemency? But what of Robert Digby? The hapless fugitive had spent five days hiding in the woods, evading the German searches, and a guard had been placed on Claire de Seine's home. The mayor's elderly father, Emile Marier, went looking for Digby. Despite being over 70 and in poor health, he found him one night in the woods, just southwest of Villeray. He urged Digby to give himself up, and promised that Evers had agreed to spare his life if he surrendered promptly, but had also promised reprisals against those who'd helped him. Whoever had betrayed them to the Germans had told Evers about Digby, his lover and her child. Digby clearly understood that Evers was making a threat to the two people that he cared about the most, Claire and Hélène. Perhaps Digby was resourceful enough to have made a solo escape. He spoke good French, could pass as a local, and might have made it to neutral Holland. Maybe he feared for Claire and Hélène if he did not give himself up. Either way, he had no reason to believe Evers' hollow promise to spare him execution. However, he had little choice but to accept his fate. On the 22nd of May, he walked into Villeray to surrender to the German garrison. Claire did not have to watch his lonely walk. Early that morning she had been rounded up with the other villagers and sent to the fields to work. Digby was taken to Le Catelet, charged with espionage, which he denied, but was sentenced to death anyway. On the 27th of May, Thorpe, Donahoe and Martin were tied to posts under the ruined ramparts of the medieval castle walls near the church in Le Catelet. They were executed, with Donahoe and Martin dying instantly. The presiding German officer was required to admit the coup de grace to the wounded Thorpe. They were buried in the churchyard at Le Catelet and a plaque commemorating their execution was later affixed to the walls beneath the ramparts. A photograph of their graves can be seen on the Those Who Served website. Although the villagers had been forbidden to see the soldiers or attend their execution, the following morning the three graves were piled high with wreaths, bouquets, poses 
and bunches of fresh wild flowers. By afternoon the graves were entirely obscured, and the Germans placed a guard on the churchyard to prevent visits by other defiant well-wishers. Robert Digby spent his final hours alone in his cell. He wrote letters to his mother, to Claire's mother Eugenie, and a final letter to Claire. My darling Claire, this is the last letter of my life. I am condemned to die by firing squad at five past ten tonight. Farewell and never forget Robert, who dies happy and satisfied for France and for my own country. I kiss you. Embrace my baby girl, and later when she is grown, tell her the truth about her father, who has died contented. Farewell, your loving Robert. On the 30th of May 1916, to the sound of roosting birdsong in the trees, Private Robert Digby of the 1st Hampshire Regiment was executed by firing squad. His last wish, to be buried in Villaray, was refused and he was buried some distance away from Thorpe, Donohoe and Martin in Le Catelet churchyard. Mayor Evers, angered by public emotion over the executed men, gave orders that no more than one wreath could be placed on each grave or a fine would be imposed. Taking him at his word, four enormous wreaths several feet across and requiring more than two men to carry each were placed on the four graves. Following the battles of Verdun and the Somme, the German high command accepted that it could no longer hold a secure front line in that region. So during the winter and early spring of 1916-17, one of the coldest on record, they prepared to move back to the newly constructed Siegfriedstellung, later better known to Allied soldiers as the Hindenburg Line. The line stretched for 90 miles north to south, and was between 2 and 30 miles behind the existing front line. As part of the preparation, the Germans destroyed, burned and ransacked any village on the path from the old front line to the new, including both Villeray and Le Catelet. Claire, her daughter Hélène, her grandmother and other villagers were rounded up and forced to march to a resettlement camp near Revin in the Ardennes in Belgium and they remained there for 18 months until American and Australian troops liberated the villages in September 1918. After the armistice, some of the villagers returned to Villeray and Le Catelet, while others did not. Those who had been taken prisoner were released and repatriated, but some felt there was too little to return to. Chinese labour divisions worked hard to rebuild the villages, and in 1920, Villeray was awarded the Croix de Guerre. Claire de Seine and her daughter Hélène Digby did return. She kept Robert's letters, a grainy photograph, and his army-issue French phrasebook. At weekends, mother and daughter would visit his grave in Le Catelet. Thomas Digby, Robert's brother, formally adopted Hélène, but their mother Ellen never replied to Robert's letter, written shortly before his death or publicly accepted that her late son had fathered a daughter. Descendants of the Lelongs, the Mariers, the Descends and others still live in the area. Claire died aged 79 in 1974, 
perhaps believing that Émile Marier, the father of the mayor, had been the betrayer. But others were not so sure. Hélène Digby married before World War II, but had to endure five years of separation from her husband Hubert when he was sent into a forced labour camp in Germany. She lived on in Villeray, dying aged 90 in 2005, but she contributed her own recollections of the story to Times journalist Ben McIntyre for his book A Foreign Field. These two episodes were many different stories. A military history, a love story, and a story of those who served. Not just of soldiers at the front, but of the villagers who tried to help them, and also those who remember them still. I'd like to thank the Commonwealth War Graves Commission for access to their archives, The Long Long Trail, and to Ben McIntyre, author of A Foreign Field, published in 2001 by HarperCollins, and also for some of the photographs on the episode extras page of the Those Who Served website. Until next time, thank you for listening to Those Who Served, with me, John Pope. You can listen to the show via the website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or a host of other platforms. If you listen on Apple, please leave a review as it makes the show easier for other Apple users to find. You can follow the show on social media via Twitter, at those who served, or on Instagram, those.whoserved. You can show your support for this free podcast by clicking on buymeacoffee.com on the Those Who Served website. All funds are used to cover the costs of research, production and syndication. You can join in with the show by sharing what details you know of a family member or friend who served in any 20th century conflict. Contact me directly by email at info at thosewhoserve.co.uk. Thank you.